Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with me here today as we talk about your vision. We talk about your creative talent and what will that solve? What will your creative talent solve? Thanks so much for joining us here today. We have got a jam-packed show today. In fact, it's so full that as I was going together and doing the post-production on this, I actually cut out all the commercials, so that's exciting for you. No commercials. We're just going to start right in it. Um, there will be a very limited amount of me talking, actually, even other than when I'm interviewing the people, and we're just going to jump right between between uh, back and forth between the interviews with the exciting guests that I've got for you because we want to help you decide, define, and understand what will your creative talent solve. Doesn't that sound like something powerful that you as a thriving entrepreneur want to know? Well, let's jump right into it then. Join me in welcoming Costa Michalidis. Hey, Costa, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Good to have you here with us. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you show up in the world. So I think the headliner for me is helping people use their creativity to solve problems they care about. Um, and I do that in my day job as an innovation consultant. So we work with uh, NASA, we work with the National Science Foundation, uh, National Institutes of Health, lots of um, groups of scientists looking to solve really interesting, interesting and complex problems in scientific domains. And we design and run conferences for them. Um, we also work in business and corporate training, teaching business leaders how to be more creative in their problem solving. Um, and my big mission now is to figure out how to take those skills that we've developed for the last 10 years, uh, ooh, maybe more for some of my team members, um, in the business and scientific domains and make those accessible for anybody who might want to use them or teaching people teaching their kids how to have healthy eating habits people who are looking to um, get in shape and the normal expert advice didn't work people who are looking to grow their small business people who are oops i became an influencer by accident how do i monetize my following any interesting little creative challenges that require a little bit of imagination the skills and techniques we've developed for scientists and business leaders could totally help anybody who might find themselves in a situation where they might want to use those skills. So that's that's me. That's my headliner. Mm, love that. So how to creatively do things in your business? Uh, that's a big one. Um, so what kind of things? I mean, you've mentioned some really cool places. Um, including I'm even seeing here in your bio um, that you've worked with some of the original real creators of the internet. I love your little uh, snark there about not Al Gore. What do you do to help people be creative in, uh, you know, in coming up with new things really for their business? Yeah. So the, the key insight in the psychological literature um, so this is sort of one of the foundational learnings uh, for practitioners as well as researchers in the field of creativity um, is to help people separate between generative thinking and evaluative thinking. So creativity is largely concerned with uh, and, and just problem solving in general is largely concerned with generating ideas for solutions and picking the ones that will work best and going and implementing those. And what happens is if you cast a very small net and you generate a handful of ideas on what a good solution for your problem might be, and then you pick the best one amongst that small set, you can do okay. If you cast a very wide net generating, let's say hundreds of ideas for potential solutions, and then pick the best one from, pick the best ones from that larger uh, pool, you have better chances of getting to more novel, more interesting, and ultimately more impactful and valuable solutions. For business leaders or for entrepreneurs, the, the key insight here is those problems which don't have known answers, like 
Like for a lot of business problems, you can find the relevant expert advice and implement it. And that works great. And once in a while, you're going to find problems where that doesn't work. Something unique to your business, something unique to your entrepreneurial challenge, something that's just slightly more complex um, or a problem that's no, nobody solved yet. And in those situations, you want to do this, cast a really wide net, generate hundreds of ideas, and then evaluate from a larger pool. And there's two reasons why that particular technique, that particular insight is super useful. One is that when you generate more ideas, well, statistically, you just have a larger pool. So there's more likely to be really good ones in there. But more importantly, as you generate more and more ideas, the ideas you generate become more creative. Um, and we've demonstrated this a variety of different ways. I did it most recently a couple of weeks ago with scientists who were working on non-coding RNA. So they were generating research ideas and they're doing one sentence research ideas. This is an offsite retreat outside of DC, 30 scientists in the room, and they generated research ideas on post-it notes, large post-it notes, one or two sentence research ideas. They put those up on the wall and they had about 180 of these. And what we did is we color coded it. We gave them like yellow post-its first and then red ones and then blue ones and then green ones. And we wanted to see which ones made it to the end the ones they generated at the beginning of their brainstorming process or the ones they generated near the end. And one out of four of the ones in the, toward the end, so the ideas they generated in the last 25% of their brainstorming, one out of four of those made it to the final cut. Whereas from the first batch, it was like one in 12 or something like that. So there's a higher concentration of good ideas and interesting, compelling, innovative ideas further in your brainstorming process. The first few ideas you come up with are just going to be off the top of your head. They're just going to be random memories or things you read somewhere. They're not going to be that impactful. That's one really big insight that entrepreneurs can act on like right now today. Now, is there another side to that equation though? Like for example, we're having this conversation right now. This is something you know really, really well. I mean, it's the heart and soul and core of who you are. So is there the other aspect of the fact that um, those first things that come out when you're really in your zone of genius are just you being brilliant or does it always work out the way you were talking about where the good stuff actually all comes out later on? It's never all, it's a game of trade-offs. So certainly in the early batch, there will be some good ideas. Specifically with our group of scientists, to go back to our example from last week, they were all experts in this field of non-coding RNA. So they've been thinking about the problems in that field for years. And so they definitely walked in the room with some really good ideas because they've been thinking about that set of problems for years. So the first few things to come out definitely had some really good ones. Um, and the same with entrepreneurship. You've been working on your business for a long time for many entrepreneurs for many business owners. And so some of your problems are really familiar to you. You've been working on them for a long time. You have good known solutions in, in your mind. So certainly just that sort of first batch uh, will have some, some really good workable ideas in it. What happens is you begin to go outside of your known space. So you have this like known workable solutions and those are easy to reach. They're top of mind for you. And so you go there. And then once you generate a little bit more at first, the new ideas are just kind of half-baked. They're new. They're, they're just much smaller, less, uh, less elaborated. You haven't really worked on those. And so they're not that good. You get discouraged. You don't generate any more ideas. So the idea is, okay, let's say you have five or 10 workable ideas top of mind for you. And then you generate another 25 or 30 from there. And those 25 or 30 are kind of awkward. And so you get discouraged and you stop there. But if you keep going, if you push past, you force your mind to go to a place of original thinking, to a place of novel thinking. Um, and so if you push past that awkward phase, that lull in your thinking, you actually get to some really interesting ideas. Now, when we do storyboarding for putting together stories, um, we use a similar kind of a thing um, you know, just kind of brain dumping every idea that comes to a person. Um, one of the things that I've found really works in that is when the stray random thoughts, oh my gosh, did I, you know, turn off the stove? 
kind of things that you just say those and move on versus trying to stop that thought. Do you find that to be true too or? Absolutely. So what, what works really well is if you sort of suspend your judgment, there's a part of your mind that's really good at critical thinking. Um, many of us because of school have really sharpened our critical thinking skills. What is the right answer? How is this going to work? Instead of what might be all the ways we could approach this, those sort of maybes and what ifs, that's like sort of creative realm kind of questioning and thinking. And then the critical thinking realm is how will we do this? What will work? What's the one right answer? So one is opening the mind, the other is closing the mind. And the closing the mind, selective evaluative thinking or critical thinking, those skills are really sharp because school forced us to figure out how to get the right answers on exams. And that's great. Those are really good, good skills and tools. But what you want to do is kind of just park your critical thinking skills, suspend your judgment, put it on the side, and first just open the mind, spew out all the ideas kind of as fast as possible. Like, and, and not that speed is will change the quality, but you'll be slightly more efficient if you just get all your ideas out on paper and then get some more out ideas, uh, ideas out on paper and then get some more and make a nice big pile of healthy ideas. Um, so we're talking about hundreds. I keep saying that quite literally hundreds. If you have hundreds of post-it notes on the wall, you have a large pile. Of, there are going to be some really brilliant ideas in there once you get up to that level of qual uh, quantity. Um, yeah, and then you suspend your judgment. Don't worry about evaluating these things. Just get them out of your head and put them on paper. And then later you can go back, put on that critical thinking hat that's really familiar and, and sharp and, and useful and go back at that wall and go, okay, these over here, these are interesting. These look like those, let's put those together. You can organize that wall of ideas and sort of identify the really good ones that are gonna work, that are gonna be worth spending your time on to refine. Mm, love that so much. Um, do you find that often when we're trying to get towards those creative new ideas that one of the big problems we have is we just stop too soon? Absolutely. Yeah. Hands down. Sorry for the short answer there, but yes, that's absolutely. Oh, I love that. No, I mean, cause I heard you saying like hundreds of ideas, you know, I mean, like I almost feel like uh, you know, I can see you in a room full of people saying more, more, no, give me more. You know? Yeah, when we get it right in the room, what happens is uh, it's hard to stop people. And it's sort of like if you can activate people's curiosity, if you can increase the level of humor and play in the room, if you can increase the level of energy, they'll just kind of go um, and they'll keep going. And so eventually what we have to say is everybody pause, have a look at the wall. Do you see at least one idea you'd be really excited to work on? And all the hands in the room go up. We go, okay, do you see at least two? And then all the hands stay up. We go, okay, do you see at least three? And then some hands start to go down. And we go, okay, if we can get to the point where everybody sees three or more they'd be excited to work on, then we, the, we consider that success in the context of like scientists generating research ideas or, or large businesses that want to develop new products. Um, so in that kind of a context, you want an abundance of things that meet the high bar. So you want like three, four, five really good ones that you're excited about. That's probably like a good enough point to stop brainstorming and move on to evaluating ideas. Mm, love that so much. So um, for the person that's a smaller business, um, mm. you know, that it's maybe just even just them, um, can they do this whole process on their own or do they really kind of need an outside person like you to help them, uh, you know, go through that process? This is something you can totally do on your own. Um, and it's important to mention a couple of things. One is that we are all naturally creative. Like as kids, we were risk-seeking, adventurous little creatures, right? We, we lost our creativity somewhere along the way when our you know, older brother told us we'd dance like a monkey or, you know, we took our 150th math test where every question had a right answer and I got drilled into our head. So your creativity kind of dies a little bit somewhere along the way. But those skills, those inclinations, that attitude, it's still there. It's in all of us. And so one of the things that we do when we are involved is we try and draw that out of people. We try and sort of pull it to the forefront, honor it, 
you know, reward it, cherish it, show it some recognition and let people operate from that creative part of themselves. Um, as an individual, you can do the same thing. You can find that creative part of yourself and nurture it. And we all kind of have outlets, right? We have creative expression in our lives in different forms. For some people, martial arts. For others, painting and art. For others, you know, different people, different ways. Um, writing is a really common one, even if it's not like professional writing or anything. It's just a journal or it's just your Twitter rants, right? There's, all, there's some outlet that people express their, their creativity in. So, so we all have it. We can nurture that. Um, and then the skills, so, so it's important to know you have a natural ability there. And then the skills are totally learnable. So generating lots of ideas in order to get to the good ones, that's a learnable skill. You, you've sort of heard it here uh, on the show. And what you could do is the next time it's relevant to have lots of ideas. Sometimes it's not, right? If you're going out to lunch, you don't need 100 ideas on what you're going to have for lunch, right? <laughs> you just need... One good one, that's enough. Cool, take care of lunch, then get back to work. So same thing in, in the business sphere. Like there are going to be some problems where you don't need an innovative solution. You just need a good enough solution. And that's fine. Efficiency matters more sometimes. But when creativity matters, when it matters to have a really creative idea, now you know, come up with lots and lots of ideas and you'll be more likely to have a creative one in there. And then what happens is the first time you do that, it's a little awkward, a little bit challenging. The next time you do it, a little bit easier. Third time to do it, super fun. Fourth time, eh, kind of lukewarm results. Fifth time, really good. And so over time, in a nonlinear way, like it goes up and down, progress is never like super predictable and, and super like incremental in the upward direction. The line always squiggles. You go up and down, but you trend upwards. So as you do this more and more, you get better and better uh, over time. And so people can absolutely do that without a you know, high-priced consultant or whatever. Um, the other thing here is that that's one particular skill. So if you want better ideas, come up with lots of ideas. But uh, there's a lot more. There's four other habits um, that I like to highlight. Uh, giving feedback to improve ideas. Um, testing early and often. So no matter how good an idea is, it ultimately has to meet reality. And so the earlier you do that and start to test ideas and, and see if they work in the real environment, the better. Um, and then you have to ask the right questions in the first place, right? You could generate lots of ideas, but if you haven't asked the right questions, you're not working on the right problem, um, that's another piece of the equation. And then the last one's implementation. And it's, you know, once you're in there and working it and it's happening, you're going to have to sort of uh, think on your feet. You're going to have to adapt and improvise. So adaptation, improvisation, experimentation, or testing early and often, giving feedback to improve ideas and asking the right questions. Those are the other skills. And it sort of boils down to five core habits, the way I see it. Um, other consultants and other experts will point at other things. Um, but at the end of the day, there are a series of ways in which people who are really innovative, there's a set of habits that they operate on. And those are totally learnable. That is so, so cool. So um, somebody that's just not used to being creative, uh, give us a little tip on how we could move into a more creative look at approaching um, our business solutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in business, one of the challenges is the stakes are really high, right? This is like where you make your living. So you don't necessarily want to try something super different, you know, on your business. What if you mess with your, your only income stream? Um, so, and, and I'm not encouraging anyone to do that. Like, don't take super high levels of risk when you're new at something, right? This is, it's, you know, frugality is, is useful here. So I would say, if you want to try to generate 100 ideas and, and take a novel approach to solving a problem in your business, pick something lower stakes at first just to test it out on. Pick something that isn't mission critical just to sort of learn the skills. Um, so, for example, let's say you operate a uh, storefront business and you're looking to move online and your online revenue is really small or non-existent. That's a great domain to try out new things. It's like, well, you got the storefront, you have your, your, your normal foot traffic, 
uh, you know, brick and mortar, great. Don't try to radically transform that thing. That's your, uh, that's your income stream. But if you know you want to move online and that's a new domain, great. That's a wonderful place to deploy some of these creative skills. And maybe not on the first go, but on the second or the third or the fourth try, you'll start to see some results. All entrepreneurial endeavors um, and pivots take, you know, take time. No one who's an entrepreneur, I think, ever succeeded on the first try without a tremendous amount of luck. So persistence here, of course, as with all things in entrepreneurship, is key. Mm, love that so, so much. So um, what kind of uh, companies do you like to work with? What, what would somebody who's interested in working with you, what, what kind of level do they need to be at to get you to come work with them? So I, I really love working with ocean-related brands and uh, adventure companies. These are groups that, that I just sort of share common values with. So I'd really love to get in touch with um, people who are either ocean-based. I'm a free diver, so I do breath hole diving and we dive with wildlife. We dove with manta rays in Hawaii last week. Um, I've gone diving with, um, with dolphins and, and other animals. Um, and it's really, I have a huge passion for the ocean. Uh, and so what we put together for Oceans brands uh, and adventure companies is something called Finding the Wild Within. It's an opportunity to take uh, executive level, level leaders and put them through a training program that teaches them how to lead from the front in an impactful way um, that brings in and weaves in the creative approach. So innovative leadership uh, that's courageous and leads from the front um, and has a mind for sustainability. Um, so this is a new new program we're putting together. So I would love to get in touch with ocean-related brands and adventure companies. Um, but these creativity skills, I think they can be used in, in any entrepreneurial endeavor. Absolutely. I totally agree. So if somebody does want to work with you, how would they get in contact with you? So the easiest way to get in touch is innovationbound.com slash 101, and that's our Innovation 101 course. So the easiest way to pick up these skills is to jump in on the 101 course. It's in active development, um, so instruction is sort of live class format on Zoom uh, at the moment. And then what we're doing is we're taking the best of that and compiling an online course that people could go through at their own pace. Um, so right now there's an early bird discount. Um, so you jump in, there's live instruction instead of um, sort of downloadable. Um, and then you sort of, what's cool is you get more one-on-one -on -one attention. You get to a more intimate sort of relationship with the, with the content with me. And then over time, the resources will become static and standalone. You'll be able to go through them on your own. And if you jump in now, you get all the stuff that comes out in the future um, for free. Um, so that's Innovation 101. And then just innovationbound.com, um, you'll see the rest of our training programs and our consulting services um, and all of that. If you happen to be in the sciences, um, knowinnovation.com, which is K-N-O-W innovation.com. That's our uh, science brand. We do work with the NSF, with NASA, with different universities. Um, so we sort of separate the brand for, for science work. Well, Costas, thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us here on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. How can you use your creativity to solve problems to help make the world a better place while it's called today? Let's jump in to our next guest. Join me in welcoming Brad Sugars. Hey, Brad, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks, Steve. How about yourself? I am good. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. You know, uh, 28, almost 29 years ago now, I fell into this role of starting a business coaching company. And here we are today now uh, with just, a thousand, just over a thousand offices in 83 countries, coaching business people how to run their business and giving them education and uh, coaching. And uh, that father of five, my wife and I have five kids, we're cra those crazy people. And uh, obviously Australian by accent and American by uh, choice. I married an American, so I guess that's where I'm stuck now. There you go. Gotcha. Well, don't feel too bad about the five kids. I actually had six, so um, you still got one to go. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting thing, and you will have seen the face of every person when they say, you have how many kids? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. 
So um, if I understand correctly, you have a book as well that's called 90 Days to Revolutionize Your Life. Is that correct or is that just a course? That, that's the course. So what are we now? 17 books I've published. Actually, I was just uh, before I got on with you messaging and looking at the cover design of the newest, the 18th book. But the 90 Days to Revolutionize is really just a way of when I turned 50, I, I literally, Steve, said, you know what? What I want to do is get in a studio. So I built a TV studio and I just recorded for 30 days. I recorded everything I knew about business. And then for 30 days, I recorded everything I knew about success principles and life success. And then for 30 days, I recorded everything I knew about building wealth. And so it's really 90 days and it's, it's only half, we cut it to a half an hour a day of information. And so it's 90 days, just, I don't know, giving people what it took me 30 years in business and investing in life to learn. Hmm. So of course, a person has to join the course in order to learn all of it, but much the same as asking you, which of your kids is your favorite, which I won't make you do. <laughs> um, what is the uh, part of the course that really just leaps to mind as your favorite right now today? I think it's, it's the fact that people can build a plan. So in the 30 days of business, they build a business plan. In the 30 days on life, they build a life plan. In the 30 days on wealth, they build a wealth plan. So it's you know how I remember as a kid watching that crazy TV show about uh, um, a guy who found the superhero suit, but not the manual to go with it. And you sit down and you think, you know, in life, you don't get a manual, you get a mother. And uh, if your mom can't teach it to you, dad can't teach it to you, you know, you've got to learn things. And my biggest challenge as a young man is that all that passion, energy and desire and not the knowledge of how to do it, you know. You know how you have to grow into your goals, Steve? You sort of set a goal and you say, okay, I want to turn this goal into reality. I have to learn. And, and if I didn't grow, then of course the goal couldn't become a reality. I remember at 16 setting goals that people told me there's no way you'll possibly achieve that because I met a great educator, Mr. Rohn, Jim Rohn. And, and you know, I started putting down goals and setting these things. And all of a sudden, what when people said I couldn't achieve it, it's because they didn't know that I was willing to grow. They didn't know I was willing to read, study, get mentors, learn, go to courses, do whatever it took to become the person that could achieve that. And so that's sort of the, I, I guess the big thing for me is that if, if I can help someone become the person that will achieve their dreams and goals, then that's exciting to me. Mm, yeah, that's good stuff. It's like the age old saying, um, if you fail the plan, you, uh, you know, you're going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I sit down with people and, and I ask them, you know, what's the most important plan you can make? And they're, they're, they're looking at me, you know, you know, my life plan. So, and, and I always come back to it's the daily plan, the plan of what you're going to do tomorrow. So every afternoon in my life, in all of our companies, because I run uh, 11 companies. I do that working two days a week because I build great people. I build people, they build the companies. I build great CEOs, they run great companies. But if you can do that every day for the rest of your life, 5.30, 6 o'clock, whatever time you down tools or, or go home or whatever, make a plan of what you're doing tomorrow. It increases your effectiveness by about 30%. So your productivity is up, effectiveness is up. Your stress levels go down. I started doing it, Steve, because I couldn't leave work at work. And so I said, you know, if I, maybe if I make a list of everything I got to do tomorrow, I can go home and forget about that. And then when I go home, I'm at home. And um, nowadays that I work from home most of my life, uh, it's easier to actually do it that way. Leave it in the office and go. Mm. Well, I'm glad that you're finding that it's easier to do that. A lot of people that are loving the concept of working at home, also are embracing the concept of working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> yeah, I remember at the start of the whole COVID thing when all of our companies, we sort of sent everyone to work from home and you know we were buying all the computers and video cameras and everything and microphones for everybody. And I, I remember the first two weeks, my CFO of one of the companies said to me, I don't know, do you think people are working? And I said to him, Tony, I believe that every single team member is working much harder today than they were uh, than they were because it's literally on their kitchen desk and they can't escape it. So people have to learn that skill, Steve. You have to learn the skill of being able to work from home and being able to switch off and back on again and those sorts of things. And, but any any aspect, like 
someone was talking with me about marketing the other day, and I've written a bunch of books on marketing, and the newest one will be on marketing again in this digital age. And, and I sit down, I look at it, and I say, you know, I'm no good at marketing. And I ask them the question, well, how many books on marketing have you read? And they said, well, I haven't read many. I said, how many? And they said, one. I said, how many courses on marketing have you taken? None. How many marketing plans have you written? None. Well, of course, you're no good at marketing. I mean, you can't expect to be good at something you've not trained in. It's, it's logical when we do that with our kids. But why do people in business assume they'll just do it? And then, and then they're like, well, I'm going to employ someone who's good at marketing. Excellent. What questions will you ask them about marketing to determine if they're any good at it or not? And of course, then they go silent again. Well, you've got to know enough about it to be able to interpret if you're recruiting a good person, if you're recruiting someone that can do the job and do it well. Um, yeah. It's such a great point because so many coaches are talking about the whole concept of, you know, not doing the things that you shouldn't be doing. And that's important but how do you hire the person to do that if you don't know what to do in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of the time people just look for a degree or past experience or that sort of stuff. And marketing changes so rapidly these days. And that's why you know, some areas of marketing, you just have to outsource because, you know, a company that just does Instagram is geniuses on Instagram for you to keep up with all the changes on Instagram yourself is almost impossible in this day and age. I mean, they change so rapidly. But hiring great people, and, and I still remember, I'll tell you, Steve, this was a, a, a fun one, but embarrassing at the time. I went to my dad, I was maybe 20 or 21. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is, dad. I just can't get good people. And I'm sure, Steve, no one on this has ever said that to themselves. And uh, he looked me dead in the eye and he said, son, really? I said, yeah. He said, well, you're an average manager running an average business. The highest caliber of employee you're going to get is average. You want great people to work for you. You better become a great manager, a great leader and run a great company. Great people don't work for average companies. And like as much as it stung, I mean, it hurt when, you, when your dad says that to you. You sort of sit down and go, dang. But he was right. Until I became great at running a business and a great leader, great people did not want to work in my company. So now I'm happy to say that my, my partners and my CEOs, I build them so that they build great companies. Mm, I love that. So, and that's a great segue into what I was thinking uh, to ask you next is, if you could go back and give yourself at say 20-ish um, some advice what business advice would you give yourself going back then? Go faster. That, I, I, I've been asked that question once or twice in the last year. And, and uh, once by a young student and uh, once by a friend of a friend. But this is the first time I've been asked that on a podcast. So that's cool. Go faster. The number, the amount of self-doubt and that, that, slowing down because it's like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing, trusting in yourself and, and believing in your ability. If you've done the study and you've done the planning, because my formula for success is relatively simple. Dreams times goals times learning times plans times actions equals success. So dream, goal, learn, plan, act. So if you've done the dreams and the goals and then you do your learning, because there's no use having a goal that you don't study. You know, you set a goal. The reason you set the goal is because you can't achieve it today. If you could have achieved it today, you would have already achieved it. You have to study and grow in order to achieve your goals. That's the purpose of a goal is to make you become that person and uh, do that sort of thing. And I know for me, Steve, there were times when I went into doubt mode and slowed down because it was just like that. And I think if I had to give a second one, Steve, it would be um, hustle and grind is the new stupid. Um, the whole theory of wearing, I wore it as a badge of honesty that I worked, you know, 16 hour days, six days a week. And I thought I was doing what a business owner should do. I thought I was, you know, I was that bootstrapping my way through and all of that sort of stuff. Whereas in reality, I was covering up the mistakes of my business by working 10 times harder than I should have. You know, I was covering up the fact that, that, that my sales team weren't performing by doing a lot of their work for them. I was covering up the fact that we didn't have good systems by doing a lot of the work for my team. I was covering up our financial 
um, you know, not knowing where our financial position was by just making a lot more money and covering it up sort of thing. So I, I think they would be the two things. Go faster, but, you know, it's that, that whole build a team, build the people, get the good people around me. And, and, you know, the job of an owner is to build the people. Of course, I had to learn all that stuff because that's why your first business is the hardest. You have to learn as you go. I mean, it took a long time for me to get the ideas and understand it. And that's why I love teaching today. So I can slow down other people's uh, uh, have to take 10 years to learn it or 20 or 30 years to learn it. No, no, get there faster. Get there faster by learning it earlier. Mm, love that. So for a person who wanted to be in the 90 days to revolutionize your life or others of the things you teach, um, how would they get in contact with you? Uh, they can, I'm going to give you a link, Steve, that'll get them to a, because uh, we just did a deal for, uh, uh, for 4th of July. So I'm going to give them all of that deal as well. But any, any social media, you'll find me on it. If you're on Pinterest, I'm over there. If you're on um, in, uh, Instagram or LinkedIn, I'm on over there as well. So come join me. I do a lot of videos, Steve, just for free on my YouTube channel. So if anyone wants to do that, and I, I, I just love teaching, you know, so it's teaching is my passion and that sort of thing. And it's, I, I sort of like say to people, you, I, I, I give away my content a lot, Steve. I really do. I give away way too much. I get in my car and every time I'm in my car, my team set up a rig so I can make a video. So I do that and, you know, record a five or 10 minute thing just for it. But or bradsugars.com, or if you want a business coach for your business from us at Action Coach, you can jump over there too. But bradsugars.com has pretty much all of the links. So dive in there and we'll find you. So Brad, um, before we go, give us a piece of advice. What's something that a person could take action on right now today that would help them begin to 30X their business? Uh, so let's talk marketing then. If you want to 30X your business, it starts with getting new business, new business and repeat business. That's really a marketing's job. Get new customers, keep existing customers. So that's what we're looking to do because repeat business equals profit, but the new business is where it builds the profit. So the biggest thing that I want people learning today about marketing is how to do what we call raise your hand marketing. So for instance, Steve, with this podcast, right? I know after this, it'll be, you'll have some great stuff. I'll do this. And that question you asked me, I'm going to put that on my thing. So instead of posting a link to the podcast though, Steve, what I'll do is have people raise their hand to get a copy. So I'll put a post up that says something along the lines of amazing podcast. Steve asked me this one question that I think will change the way you think about success. If you want a copy of the podcast, or if you want the link, type the word podcast below. So then what happens, Steve, is anyone who's actually interested, because if they just click the link, I don't know who's interested. Does that make sense? If I, if I just give them the mm -hmm. link, they'll yes. click it and I got no idea who it is. Yeah. If, however, on my LinkedIn, I say type podcast below or my Facebook or whatever it is, then boom, all of a sudden I've got a list. Here's the 30, 40, 50 people that are interested. Not only that. When that person writes the word podcast, it increases the algorithm. I type back to them. I say, hey, Steve, I just DM'd you the link. So now I'm in a direct messaging with you as well. And then when I'm in the direct messaging, hey, here's the link to the podcast. By the way, if you'd like a free download, if you'd like a download of the whole uh, thing uh, of a white paper that I wrote on the subject, please shoot me a note or give me your email address. Then I get their email address. So I enter into a conversation. The main aim of marketing today is not really to sell. It's to open conversations. And if you can think of it that way, change what you're doing instead of saying, hey, here's a thing, or hey, I've got a webinar on next week. Say, hey, doing it just like I finished a webinar the other day. So we put it on social media. Hey, just finished a webinar on how you can increase your wealth. If you'd like the link, type the word wealth below, we'll send you a copy. Does that make sense, Steve? Like to get people to raise their hand is really the concept of what we're trying to do. Mm, yeah, that's a great, great idea. Great tip. In the digital marketing world, too many people are just offering content and not opening conversations. We want to open conversations with people. We want to turn our digital world into a communication platform where we start chatting with people. You know, ultimately, social media 
is really about distraction. People go on social media to get distracted most of the time to just pass the time sort of thing. And so you got to break through. You got to give them something where you ask them to take an action, where you ask them to do something, send me a message, type the word below, shoot me an email, do something, you know, and, and, even when I'm emailing people, Steve, I won't email them something and say, hey, here's the link to X. I'll say, hey, just putting together a program on this. If you wanted the, the link, shoot me, a, just hit reply with link or hit reply with whatever it is. So that makes sense. It's, it's asking people to act rather than just trying to sell them all in one go. Open the conversation. Mm, so good. I hope a bunch of people will take action on that. You've already prompted me for what I think I'm going to do for my post today. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Excellent. Good to see. All right. Well, Brad, there's so much more. I know you have to teach people, and I hope that they will uh, you know, check you out at bradsugars.com. Brad, thanks so much for being on the show with us here today. Loved it. Thank you, Steve, for asking such great questions. What amazing thing are you going to do in the next 30 days? How can you apply creativity to the situations in your life and make this world a better place by just simply showing up as the best version of yourself today? What can your creativity do and how can that matter? Join me in welcoming James Mackey. Hey, James, how are you doing today? I'm good, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate having you here with us today. Tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Yeah, sure. So I'm the founder CEO of a company called Secure Vision. Basically, what we do is companies borrow recruiters from us. So we help tech companies primarily scale everything from revenue to engineering to GNA teams. And we've done this uh, for the past seven years now with over 150 companies. Uh, we're a global partner. Most of our projects are in the U.S. However, we've worked in APAC, uh, EMEA, LATAM uh, to build globally distributed teams to help tech companies hire talent. Awesome. So um, you both hire the talent from within and outside of the United States or most of them uh, international or how does that part of it work? Yeah. So the majority of hires that we help our, our clients make are in the United States, uh, but I would say probably 25% is international. Okay. Um, what are the advantages and maybe even disadvantages of having your technical person be in the U.S. versus, you know, obviously it's cheaper if you go to some of the other countries? Yeah. So I think just particularly with COVID, people are starting to realize more and more that location is is really not a, a, a barrier. And, and at this point in time, it's, it's really about just getting the best people on your team, regardless of where they're based. And there's a lot of really cool tools like deal and remote.com that now enable companies to hire uh, internationally. So um, I, I think some companies, they might have different reasons, right? Inter enterprise customers might have uh, clients internationally. So they want people working in different time zones. There's also benefit from the perspective of uh, having people work in different time zones essentially means more productive hours every day uh, for an organization. So more can get done on an accelerated timeline. There, there of course is from a budgeting perspective, kind of blended rates, right? Where you might have some people in the US market and, and there's some benefits international. So there, there's a lot of benefits. Um, I mean, even if, if you ask a, a chief people officer, they might say, a benefit would be uh, having people coming from different perspectives and cultures as a value add to the organization and, and can bring new creative solutions. So um, there, there's a lot of reasons people people do it. And I think when you when you start to hit later growth stage organizations that are above 200 employees and up is when you really start to see companies considering uh, having more of an international presence and workforce. Now, with the advantages uh, or improvements, whichever word you want to use, we've made in technology these days, with the exception of the physical guy who needs to swap out a drive in a server or those kind of, you have to be there in person to do kind of tech. There really isn't a whole lot you can't do remotely these days, is there? Yeah. I mean, you have different perspectives on this, I suppose. Uh, but I think for most organizations, remote is, is the way to go. Uh, it's also just the best way to attract top talent, right? Because the, the best people in most fields of work, if the work can be done remotely, 
most of them are going to prefer that. We're really seeing the integration of work and professional life at a level we've never seen before. And if a company or a position isn't really going to enable somebody to live the best version of them, their life, uh, both professionally and personally, they're probably not going to be interested. So because there's enough companies that are willing to give them exactly what they want. So I think that that's something that a lot of companies need to consider. You know, Elon Musk might be able to get away with not doing that with Tesla. Uh, but most companies are not Tesla and you got to have to understand, you have to understand how much leverage you have in the marketplace. And so for most organizations, if, if the job can be done remotely, it's, it's a, it's, it's probably wise to let people do that because you want to create the most compelling employment packages, right? So do you get into the aspect of, you know, with the people you work with of actual, um, experience for the people that they're hiring? You know, what is the work-life experience for the people? Do you, do you help them with that? Yeah, I mean, we, we make recommendations for sure. Um, you know, some, some companies are, are more open to our recommendation than others, right? Um, but I think most companies that we work with are somewhat progressive when it comes to how they're putting together employment packages. We, our model um, the way that we do things, the way that we operate our company is typically aligned with clients that want to do talent acquisition the right way. So if they're investing in us, they're typically investing with in people um, and they're investing in their people functions and, and creating great opportunities. So fortunately, we work with a lot of companies that are really bought into this philosophy, but occasionally we'll get a, a, a customer that you know, wants to do the hybrid schedule and, and doesn't and believes in the power of in-person because uh, for collaboration and creativity, right? And there have been some studies that point to that being um, a benefit of, of in-house, but uh, or in, per, um, in person versus remote. But uh, it, it definitely makes it a lot harder for those organizations to hire. And you got to wonder how much growth are they missing out on because they're basically choking their business to, from being able to get the best people uh, because they're not they're not being more flexible versus you know for even at Secure Vision my company uh, our staff is 100% remote I can hire people in any state in the U.S. and I have a PEO that I've outsourced my HR to make sure I'm complying in all these different states so there's no barrier for me to be able to do that and as a result I've been able to to build a team that's stacked with A players versus if I have competitors that are uh, you know doing hybrid models they're they're not going to be able to get the same caliber of talent as I am because they're not giving people what they want. And the best people always have the most options. It doesn't matter, you know, in any market condition, whether it's a market correction or a bull market, the best fit individuals are always going to have the most options on the market. So it's just very important to remember that as you're choosing your strategy, right? Absolutely. What would you say is the biggest thing that a company can do to have themselves prepared to be the company that high-end, really good talent would want to choose? You really need to pay attention to employee feedback and candidate feedback, right? It, it's, it's a survey is a good start for employee engagement um, and feedback, but it's, it's not enough. To some extent, relationships are not scalable. And beyond surveys, you really got to get in there as a leader and talk with your team and understand the sentiment and figure out what they want and how happy they are. And if they've noticed any areas for improvement and you have to be open and coachable too, just like you'd want your team to be coachable. And also when employees do give feedback, understand that that's not always easy. It's not always easy to go to your boss and, and give them feedback. And so you have to build a culture where that's encouraged and supported and people feel safe and appreciated and you also have to act on that feedback because if you don't act on the feedback that's given to you, not all of it, right? But when you can, you act on it and that's going to create trust, right? When employees come to you and they give you feedback or you go to them and get feedback uh, and then that's implemented, they're going to ultimately continue to bring you feedback. Whereas if you collect all this feedback and don't do anything about it, they're going to stop coming to you. And then you have a real problem because you lose a pulse on your organization. And that's when you start to see a lot of your best people start to transition out of the company. And you really start, it's, it, it gets hard to maintain the bar in terms of, you know, getting the best fit individuals on your team. So I think it's, it's listening to feedback, 
and it's giving people what they want, right? Like our job as employers and founder CEOs or executives is not to build employment packages that we like. The, the goal is to build employment packages that top talent wants, right? Because if we have the best fit individuals on our team, we're going to be able to provide the best experiences for our clients and scale uh, our organization. So the, the goal, it's, it's better to have a team stacked with A players that's remote than have a team with B and C players that's in, in office. Um, at least that's, that's my perspective on it. And I think a lot of the top uh, organizations that are the highest growth companies that I've seen over the past few years have really embodied that philosophy. Mm, I love that. So um, let's talk a little bit about the interview process. I mean, interviewing just, it's like it keeps changing every other year. You know what I mean? Um, I do. You know, for a while it was bring everybody into a cattle call and tell them all the basic information and then do one-on-ones. And, you know, I mean, what is the most impact? What, what is the current trend? I suppose is probably the better way of saying that right now in an effective interview of, of a potential candidate. One of the biggest missed opportunities for employers is to create content and assets for candidates considering their business. So what I mean by that is the careers page should be stacked with details about what it's like to work for your organization. There should be video content, written content uh, coming directly from employees, explaining what it's like to onboard the first 90 days, what's challenging about what they're building, what's fun about it, um, what's the culture like, right? How is performance measured? There's you know 20 plus questions that are very common that employees or and candidates are typically going to ask. And all of that content should be developed and, and put on the website. I, I consider the careers page essentially a proposal, just like you have proposals and sales that you send to customers, right? Or prospects. You really want to be doing the same thing with, with candidates. And if you're doing outbound outreach to hire, then a link to the careers page should be dropped into uh, the outbound messaging and sent alongside that, that message that a recruiter sends as well, if you have a recruiter on your team. So I think, um, you know, producing content is huge. Buyer preferences in general are changing. People are engaging with salespeople or recruiters later in the funnel than they were 10 years ago, right? So if we want to buy something online, for instance, we don't want to jump on a call with a salesperson, right? We want to be able to do our own research. We want to look at different review sites. We want to look up the features and understand where, you know, this, this uh, company kind of fits in the marketplace. Candidates want the same thing when they're, when they're looking for jobs. So you have to be a known quantity online and in your industry, and you really have to uh, invest in that online presence and in producing assets for candidates. So I think that that's probably the biggest shift that we're experiencing. And then also an emphasis on, again, just uh, quality of life, right? Candidates have a lot more questions about what is, it, what is the experience going to be like of working here, right? Like, am I, am I going to be able to have some flexibility with my work hours so I can take, uh, you know, my, my kids to the doctor or go on vacation or whatever it might be? People are looking for flexibility. It's not that they don't care about money and titles. They still do. It's obviously still important, right? That's why we go to work to, to make money and uh, that's important, but people are just putting a much bigger emphasis on uh, the culture of the organization, how much they seem to be investing in people. Do they max capacity so people don't have to work, you know, 60 plus hours a week, 50 plus hours a week, right? Um, all those questions are becoming incredibly important. And then on the employer side, I, I mean, I, I don't, it's not as, as many changes beyond the best companies are investing in content. I think, you know, transitioning to more remote interviews, um, is definitely a trend, but I think most of the trends on the employer side are just more tied to doing things remotely. Um, but ultimately, from a content perspective, not, that really shouldn't change things, right? Like we should be making decisions based on having the right kind of custom questions and uncovering the right skill sets. I, I guess I suppose one trend would be, you know, with the tight labor market, more companies are developing the strategy of like, let's get somebody who's a 70% fit for the job right? Versus saying we want somebody who's 95% fit. How can we invest in onboarding and enablement uh, to, to train somebody up on 20, 30% of the job that they haven't done before, right? And so that's, that is a trend that we are seeing now in the market, just given the fact that it's, it's such a competitive market for top talent. 
Love that. So uh, what, what are the kind of companies that you really prefer to work with? Yeah, I think the, the companies that we love to work with are the ones that have a people first culture that understand that people are the primary driver of value. It doesn't matter if it's a services company or a product company, people are, are putting in the work and are developing the solution for the client. And so the companies we love to work with understand that they need to optimize to get the best fit individuals on their team. And that's going to allow them to, to be as successful as they can be as an organization. So those are the types of companies we love to work with. And the ones we, we try to stay away from because we know they're, they're not going to be as, well, quite honestly, not as successful um, are the ones that are not people first, that, that don't listen to employee feedback, that don't value employee feedback, that they see trends in the marketplace, like people wanting more PTO or minimum PTO policies, and they kind of scoff at that. Um, you know, they're the ones that just think that they can outweigh the market until it shifts back to an employer market. So they don't have to offer these new types of benefits and perks, right? Uh, because they don't understand fundamentally that, again, the best fit people that are the true A players, they're going to have options in any market, right? Uh, and also, when you get into companies that are trying to predict the market, um, it's like predicting the stock market, right? It's a lot of people maybe think they can do it, but really they're, they're just, uh, they're, they're, it's just guessing. And so they, they usually miss out on a lot of growth uh, versus the companies that are just invested in the long run, uh, long-term investors of people, I guess you could say, right. That are, are just consistently optimizing to create great experiences for employees. Because again, if you, if you take care of your employees and you, you give them what they want, you're going to be able to hire the best fit people your customers are going to be the happiest and that's going to enable you to scale. And for a company who is now raising their hand and saying, pick me, pick me, how does somebody, uh, you know, work with you? So, so yeah, um, I, you know, people can find us at securevision.io. Um, it's a, uh, you can, it's like a form with like three fields. It's really easy. And, um, after you fill it out, you can book time directly on our calendars. So there's no annoying, you know, back and forth <laughs> uh, to get set up. You just book a time and, and we, we just have a short call and explain how we do what we do. And uh, we try to make it easy. As a business owner, my goal is to create great experiences for everybody associated with my business. So my employees, my clients, candidates. So a lot of what we do from a process standpoint is, is we, we try to eliminate friction and just make it as easy as possible for people to engage with us and get value from us. So I'd say the website is, is typically the best place to, to go to get in, involved with us. Perfect. Well, James, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Yeah, Steve. Well, thank you for, for having me. That was a whirlwind of a show. Three great guests. I hope you really do have the ability to use your vision to make this world a better place because you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose and the world does need you. We need you to use your creativity to improve the world, to make your life and the lives of others better so that you can live as a thriving entrepreneur in all that you say and in all that you do, that you will be the best version of yourself while it's called today. Until we're together again next time, I hope that you have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. who's on a mission stand out with your brand out <laughs> check this out guys yep everything's marketing and marketing is everything your existing book can become a best-selling book or even hey like mine a number one international best-selling book in five days listen if your business isn't known by everybody it's obscurity and that's death right the same thing is true for your book if you're not happy with the way your book is performing you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling Go to yourbestsellertoday.com, schedule a talk with Steve,
believe. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. You